everyone. My name is Julia Ferrioli, um, and I am here on a lovely, as always, gray day in Seattle, um, and recording this with Vicky for Open Source Stories. Vicki, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, hi, everyone. Um, I'm VM Bressour, but we're all friends here, so you can call me Vicki. I'm sorry, we can start over if you like. No, no. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, VM Bressour, people get confused all the time. VM Bressour is kind of the online, how I can make sure I can find myself, how I can be referred to by things. Um, but yeah, Vicki is how I am known as an actual human being and not an online character. Um, I'm here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest in the greater Portland area where it is also kind of gray today, um, which is lovely, although I wish it were a little warmer. Did you get any of that unexpected snow that we saw? I did. I was very displeased by it, but one of my cats enjoyed it a great deal because there's all this stuff falling past the window and that's fascinating. Okay, today I learned I'm a cat. Cool. Got it. <laughs> Excellent. There are many worse things to be. <laughs> My dog may have something to say about that. Um, well. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we do like to start these these kind of storytelling sessions, these conversations off with something nice and light. Um, so, of course, I'm going to give you a, a very not light question, which is, you know, what's been bringing you joy lately? Which can be very loaded. For a lot of people. Um, it can be, actually. So um, in October, I quit my job, and that brought me joy. Um, but it also allowed me to do a lot of self-care, which is wonderful. Um, uh, I've been getting an incredible amount of sleep, and that brings me so much joy. Um, I've been spending a lot of time with uh, things that you make with your hands. Right. Um, I do a lot of fermentation as far as, uh, you know, krauts and kimchis and things like that. And I actually have a kimchi that I'll be bottling up this week sometime. Very excited about that because about a kimchi. Um, I'm learning how to spin yarn, which is just a fascinating meditative sort of process. Um, that brings me joy. Uh, finish a new pair of socks this week and knitting that brings me joy just all these things that at the end there's this functional useful and sometimes even beautiful object that I can hold and I know mm -hmm. I made it I did that that's not something I get to do in my job because my job is all strategy and, and communication and you know there's no tangible object at the end so I love having this time to do a tangible object sort of marathon it's just oh it's just fills me so much more than my actual day-to-day -day job does which is fulfilling in other ways yeah and and i i can totally relate to the need for something that you can you can see and touch and and interact with in uh you know what what people unpoetically call meat space right um yeah the 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 so-called real world um and i think that a lot of people find that kind of connection as they progress through in tech they find that they need that connection to reality a little bit 
Yeah, I do think it's something that would be great to, you know, get it into the early training for people who are going to boot camps or university or something like that to try and teach them balance um, mm. earlier on, at least the concept of balance, so it doesn't come become mind blowing when they reach their, you know, late thirties or forties, and suddenly they're like, "Why do I feel unfulfilled?" Well, <laughs> mm -hmm. let's talk about that. Yeah. There are ways to fix that. Balance. So, yeah. but that's a, actually a, a perfect segue um, into <laughs> kind of for for those who don't know you, what what is your connection to to open source? Something that is oftentimes anti balance. Um. Well, I've been in free and open source software in some form or other for. I, I can't even do the math anymore, uh, far more than 30 years now. Um, so I, I've been around, um, but didn't start getting really paid to do it. Didn't really, I guess you could say, come on the scene of open source until you know, after 2010 or so. Mm -hmm. um, that's when I started to be a lot more public about my advocacy and um, and really more publicly helping people. Um, so what I do for a living when I do have a job, which you know I, I'm on pause right now, which is I'm so grateful for the opportunity and so privileged and grateful to do that. Um, so what I do for a job is I help companies um, with their strategies around free and open source software, how they can be how can your company be more successful by using, releasing, and contributing to free and open source software in a way that's good for the communities and for the bottom line? Um, and that can mean creating an open source program office, also known as an OSPO. It can mean um, working with them on their, their software supply chains. It can mean working on the, with them on uh, how to release software and community management. It's really, it's the big picture stuff. It's like C-suite, chief open source officer type stuff. Um, so that's what I do for a living um, when I have a living. <laughs> but right now I, uh, I quit my job as I have said multiple times because I'm so excited <laughs> to have that opportunity. But um, right now I'm primarily working on my second book, which is all about all the stuff I just said really. Um, so I can help more companies, more people understand how to be a responsible, authentic open source citizen and, and creator and contributor, while also being uh, responsible to their business, right, and how to do these things well, because it's possible to do both of these things well, without, you know, using your community as free slave labor, for instance. Yeah, there's, that's mm -hmm. bad. There's ways to do uh, commercial open source, which don't involve that. Right, right. And as, as we've kind of seen the evolution of open source and corporate involvement, there's been a, a fair amount of tension, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, self-inflicted tension. Uh, uh, people more driven by um, meeting funder expectations than creating a sustainable business and ecosystem. 
um, within which to to build that business. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think the motivations are misplaced. And so therefore that leads to bad actors. Mm-hmm. And people who just are fine with the motivations being mis- misplaced and purely driven by those dollar dollar bills. Yeah. Those, the money, the bottom line, the, the profit over everything. Yeah. Profit over all is, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That's pretty heavy. Yeah, sorry. No, it's fine. It's just a little early in the morning. Um, <laughs> so this deep thought. More tea for this. Yeah. Yes, yes. More tea. Uh, so, when you're thinking about your experience in, in open source, whether it's paid or unpaid or um, semi-paid, so that, that's probably a thing. All of us are underpaid, so, you know, semi-paid. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of has influenced your, your path, your trajectory through it, um, or how you think about open source as a, as a system, as a, as a concept? Um, well, open culture has really influenced and was kind of my gateway be honest, uh, because I didn't come into open source the way a lot of people do, uh, especially now, right? Um, people are like, oh, I want to code. I want to do something like that. I was there pretty early on. I mean, we're talking early, early 90s before open source was a thing. Right. This was like in the free software days um, before Linux. Uh, and I learned about this thing, uh, Project Gutenberg. And we found it via, I don't know, a Gopher server or an Archie server or something like that. And it was absolutely magnificent. You could download tests. And we got into so much trouble printing out on dot matrix printers in the computer lab um, the entire text of Through the Looking Glass. Or uh, my friend printed out the entire CIA fact book. And, you know, there were just all these books available for free. And that was wild to me. Who, who does that? Well, it turns out you can share texts and things for free for the better good of everyone. And that's kind of how I was introduced to free and open as a concept. Um, that it's okay to share with everyone for the good of everyone and become that rising tide that floats all boats sort of cliche. Um, and this was the days of Usenet news. You know, uh, spent a lot of time on Usenet, learned about free software and the free software movement. Uh, and that was just, again, kind of mind blowing. This is a thing that people do because these were the days of, you know, Microsoft Windows in packages that you walk into Best Buy and pick off the shelf sort of thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. So people giving software away over the internet via Usenet or that's pretty much what it was, or FTP servers, a lot of those. Sure. That was kind of mind blowing, right? That was incredible. Um, and it, it really appealed to me in a, in a, at a visceral level. Um, but I am also, I have a long history with libraries. 
Um, I've worked in libraries and the library space for at least 10, 12 years of my career uh, in some form or other. Um, and that again is a space where people are sharing things for the good of others. So to me, it's a fairly analogous to that. It's like, this is a public good that helps everyone. And so we all should be contributing into it, right? Like how, uh, frankly, public transit, that's the sort of thing that I think should be free because it's, it's a public good that helps everyone. Um, I, I think it really falls into that sort of camp, open source, uh, free and open source software. Um, and I do tend to try to say free and open source software because they are different but related and um, they're different but related things and they help to support each other in very fundamental important ways so I don't want to drop free software off the map there it is it is a separate thing and it is very good if implemented correctly so I think libraries and that concept of public good really uh, apply well but in the past few years let's say eight or so years i've really been um in my thoughts around free and open source software and how i interact with it with my companies my clients uh because i i do freelancing once in a while um is more of an ecosystem perspective and so I do a lot of reading uh, around ecosystems, uh, both business and especially otherwise natural ecosystems. And uh, the concept of balance there, again, is very important. And in free and open source software, we have a lot of things out of balance. And <laughs> that, that leads to a lot of problems. Um, and ecosystems being what they are, they, uh, it's really, you've got an ecosystem inside of an ecosystem inside of an ecosystem inside of an ecosystem, right? And, and you can get down to very small ecosystems, but they're still impacting in a part of other ecosystems, right? And so in my work, I can work at the small ecosystem level to try and make that healthier within a company, within a community, within a foundation, and then use that to try to create ripple effects or examples or case studies or something like that, which I can then take to the next ecosystem and say, look, here's how we can impact your ecosystem, which is going to make everything healthier, including your lot, your company, your bottom line. Um, and if you're doing it and your competitor is not, that gives you a leg up and look at how much better this can be. Right. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it's no secret that I love thinking about things from, from an ecosystem perspective. And, and I also do a lot of reading around ecosystems and sustainability within ecosystems. And one of the terms that I've been picking up a lot is, is, it's a fairly logical one, but the one sub ecosystem. Yeah. Um, because people think of open sources as one thing free and open source software is one thing, but it's really not. It's just, it's a concept. It's a, it's a concept. It is very much a fundamental concept and philosophy and a standard out of the OSI, open source initiative, but it is not one thing, right? 
yeah. it's it really is a culture right yeah i mean if you look at something a lot of people use ubuntu it's like okay well you've got the entire ubuntu ecosystem well ubuntu doesn't just come into being ubuntu is built on debian mm-hmm. and debian is built on the linux kernel and all of the various packages it comes with each of those packages has their own ecosystem that's not just ubuntu that's that's so much more than that and that's something that i think more people need to really think about is this um what's the composite picture right what are the components that make up your particular ecosystem Mm -hmm. what makes it possible what makes it yeah all come together it's in in a sense it's 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 very pure right you're you're building on the shoulders you're standing on the shoulders of 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 giants or maybe not giants but you know you're just you're you're learning from other people's experiences i and i often use um academic research as a metaphor with open source because you know the people today who are doing academic research in say cancer research you know trying to understand breast cancer or or throat cancer or what have you they are all building upon the work of those who came before them and these research papers are absolutely fundamental to them being able to do their job and having those open and freely available allow them to do their job of course a lot of them are locked behind paywalls and these people are fortunate enough to be parts of academic institutions that can afford to pay to get behind those paywalls Mm -hmm. um so they have free open and open access but others don't obviously um but that science wouldn't be possible without everyone who came before them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've come back to, to the open culture and yep, open access. Exactly. Um, and I love, I love thinking about it in terms of academic research because, you know, you read a paper and I still print out papers because I um, internalize better that way. But I print out the papers and at the end, oftentimes it's it's a third of the size of the paper is is the bibliography, the references. Yep. And that type of, of of giving credit to things that have influenced to to people who have influenced your your thinking, the direction of your research, positive or negative, um, is so important and is something that we don't do very well in open source, in my opinion. No, I don't think we do do it very well. If we did do it very well, then we wouldn't be having these software supply chain conversations that we're having now. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and a lot of that, I think, is because people don't truly understand what open source is or how to open source, um, what's involved with it. Um, and this is not at the higher level of those who are consuming and using open source, but just those who are producing software. Yeah. Right? They don't understand there is a definition of open source that is actually very important mm-hmm. to the functioning of free and open source software. Um, there is a 
There are reasons why you need to have licenses in your software. There are reasons why you need to, you know, have a notices file or what have you showing who did what and why. Um, there are really good reasons for all of these things, but people, I've watched them just, the culture has evolved in such a way that it's lost touch with that. And now it's, let me build something, throw it over the wall, put it on GitHub and now it's open source. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's only the smallest sliver of the actual picture. And I think we, we in open source, those of us who have been around for a very long time, this is our fault. Frankly, we did a very bad job of educating. It's like um, in 19, I think 98 or so, um, the open source initiative was created and came out with the open source definition. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bruce Perrins went on his various speaking tours, telling everyone who cared about the open source definition and everyone knew about it and that was great and then everyone just sort of rested on their laurels mm -hmm. and uh, stayed at this baseline of what free and open source software is we don't need to tell anyone else we've already told them but in the meantime the software industry just grew dramatically and now we have completely lost track of that initial baseline. And so it used to be years ago, you could at least find somebody who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who heard Bruce Perrin speak at a university once, right, way back in the day. And they at least had some concept of the fundamental tenets of open source via the telephone game. They had some concept, but I think we're even losing that. Yeah. And that's because we stopped educating as the early people of open source. So let me ask a question about that. That's twofold. I'm doing the things I hate when I'm giving a talk. Um, do we course correct? Should we course correct? And if so, how do you think we go about approaching that? Um, I don't know how we could get by if we don't course correct. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how free and open source software is going to continue if people don't understand what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the answer to that is yes, absolutely. We have to course correct. How we go about doing that is a, there's no simple answer to that. Obviously it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be a longer term process. I do think it needs to come from the open source initiative combination with other important um, nonprofit organizations within the free and open source software world. Um, uh, Free Software Foundation Europe. I won't say Free Software Foundation because they're still broken. Sorry, FSF, but as long as you have RMS on your board, you are broken. Um, but FSFE, OSI, um, uh, Software Freedom Conservancy, Apache, Eclipse, mm -hmm. right? They got to get their heads together, sit down and go, okay, 
this shirt's shit is broken, yo, how do we fix it? Mm -hmm. um, and come up with a plan to kind of educate and get the message out again mm -hmm. in a consistent, coherent way. And it has to be across multiple vectors in multiple languages, just everywhere, have a consistent message around this. Um, and it's got to, it's not going to be easy. No. There's a lot of big personalities with big ideas and they don't like to see eye to eye often. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think for the future of free and open source software, if we want it to have a positive trajectory and not just spiral into data capitalism, then we need to figure this out and to get the word out. Um, but, and I do think that open source initiative being the keeper of the open source definition, that's where it all ought to center. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a lot of confidence in that happening. It's, I mean, you know, when you talk about Bruce going on his speaking tour initially to get, get the word out, I'm just thinking the the scale is so much different. Mm -hmm. It's so much bigger than it was then. And the the avenues that people enter and exit open source are so varied now that yes, you do need a multi-pronged approach. You need but you do need a Someone spearheading that charge. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it can't be this willy nilly. Okay. We've all got, we all agree this needs to happen break. And then everyone goes off and does it their own way. That's right. not going to help. We do need a consistent, coherent plan of messaging. And then everyone raises their hand. It's a project like any other project, right? Mm -hmm. You have an open source project that you've released it does one thing. Maybe it uh, transposes music, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it does that. Um, it does one thing, but it has multiple parts. And someone raises their hand and says, I'll take this part. Someone else raises their hand. I'll take that part. That's a project. This is just a project as well, but it's a big one that does require coordination. Mm -hmm. And that has to happen for us to, I think, course do that course correction. Bringing back the culture into free and open source software. It's kind of going, trying to, to go back to some of the roots and some of the, the cultural principles that, that underlie free and open source software. Yeah, exactly. It's not just about the code. Yeah. And it's never just been about the code, but that seems to be where people put their focus, um, unfortunately. You look at any successful software project, and it's not simply the code that it takes a lot of people to get there, a lot of different roles. And that's part of the important culture of free and open source software, mm -hmm. is that it can allow a lot of different people to contribute to the benefit of others, not just programmers. Yeah. But we've kind of got this cult of the software developer that has for many, many, many years excluded a lot of people. Yeah. And that's something I think this weekend, that's part of what we we do in, in an issue or in a project to course correct is to really focus on that 
bigger picture, that culture, that what it actually means mm -hmm. to do open, free and open source software. Well, I, I recognize that we're technically over time. So I have one parting question. What are your hopes for open source software? Free and open source software. I'm trying, sorry, yeah. I'm trying no, to. That's yeah. okay. No, I mean, you do you, I do me. That's, <laughs> that's how these things go. Um, uh, what are my hopes for free and open source software? Um, I would hope more people do start to take this ecosystem perspective um, and look at what's better, what's good for the ecosystem as well as for them and, and try to create that sort of balance. Um, that would be very nice. I, I would hope people would, as a part of that ecosystem perspective, start to look at some huge single points of failure we have um, within free and open source software and start to uh, address those before they come crashing down around our ears. I would like to see uh, more academic organizations teach free and open source software in a correct way mm -hmm. um, rather than just throwing it at someone who can spell free and open source software. Um, we get a lot of poor education out of about free and open source software right now out of a lot of academic institutions and there's a lot of stuff we can do. But these are all these are all fixable problems, which is yeah. good, I think. Um, and so it's just a matter of work and I getting them fixed. And if I might introduce my my own perspective, those are all fun problems, too. They can be fun they can, problems. They can be, yes, yeah. yeah. I realize our definitions I mean, of fun might be different. <laughs> yeah, um, but they also, they also all involve, as most everything we do does, they involve people. Mm -hmm. And people can be difficult, squishy things that can be you know, they can complicate things, we human beings. And mm -hmm. so they can be from problems, but they're also not things you can just go in there and steamroller over. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, you have to take a kind of an ecosystem, ecosystem perspective on that as well. So exactly. Yes. yes. Well, BM, thank you so much for coming on Open Source Stories. It was a delight to have you. I was so glad to be asked, and thank you so much for doing this. I think it's a, definitely a service that we in Three and Open Source Software need a lot more of. I I agree, and I'm I'm so glad to see um, see the interest in the 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 dedication to preserving these stories, this, this history. So, yeah. yeah, thank you for that. <laughs>